Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my brother and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media that we like, like a video game, a movie, or a book. Then the other person has two weeks to watch slash play slash read that piece of media and give their verdict. My name is Tim Bloom. I'm Kyle Bloom. And I'm Cozy Hanula. And Cozy has a new mic this episode. Hooray! Insert clap sounds. How's, uh, How's the past few weeks gone for everybody? Living the dream. (laughs) <laughs> the dream we're recording this on valentine's day lots of fun valentine's day plans when it's negative 15 degrees outside and we're still all quarantining so that's good it's gonna be a good time great great job riffing on that thank you um so last time i gave the hard sell to kyle i reviewed uh kindergarten 2 and i gave kyle the hard sell on the mentalist the cbs drama from 2008 so we'll kick off with uh, Kyle's verdict on The Mentalist. Kyle, what did you think of The Mentalist? Wow, that it was an interesting uh, six episodes, I'll tell you that much. I, I will start by saying... To recap really quickly, to be clear, Kyle did not watch the entirety of CBS's The Mentalist. Yes. You watched episodes one, two, and three to get a taste of the series, and then I believe I had you watch episodes six. Nope, thir- nine. Okay. You tell me what you watched. And then there were episodes 9, 11, and 23, which was the season one finale. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it. I will say, just to begin, that I did enjoy watching it. It was an interesting experience. I didn't feel compelled to look at my phone or open other tabs while it was happening for the entirety of each of the episodes. Um, nice. Which Good doesn't feel like... That big a milestone, but I have horrible attention span. Um, yeah, I mean, I do that on, like, almost every piece of media that I so, consume. I usually have something else up, so that's probably a good sign. Yes, it was a good sign. Um, let's, uh, I, what I want to start by doing is I want to talk about the main cast of characters first. Sure. Because um, they're sort of the central piece, it's from my understanding, um, to, to this show and kind of to most shows like this. Are you telling um, me that the central cast of characters is the important piece to most shows? That is might be what I'm telling you. Yes, the insight, the true, <laughs> the true media criticism that we bring on hard sell is okay. just cutting edge. Yes. Um. So let's start with Patrick Jane, who is the mentalist. I don't think he's. I don't know. Was he ever titled as such? I think that's what he was called. I think the show talks. About, I think at one point in a future season, someone tells him not to mentalize them as a bit, but I don't think anyone ever says, like, he's the mentalist. At I least not that a, I remember. A mentalist is, like, a term in magic for someone who does the type of um, misdirection with the mind that he does. That's why it's called that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in... um. Every time there would be like a commercial break, because I was watching this on Amazon Prime, uh, it did show up with just a black screen with white text uh, defining the word mentalist. Yeah, with Um, like slightly different definitions each time. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, Patrick Jane. Very good character. Mm -hmm. Um, I I enjoyed watching him uh, about as much as I enjoyed uh, watching Sherlock and watching... um, Sean Spencer, because those are the two shows like this that we've talked about that I've enjoyed in the past, um, at, for very different reasons. I I don't know what 
is appealing to people and to myself about a main mm-hmm. character who's an asshole. Mm-hmm. But it's very fun. Uh, the fact that his strategy is to just be as awfully shocking to someone in grief as possible and then reading their face to see if they're lying is is truly a treat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those, it seems so simple. Like, when you're watching him do it, you're like, why doesn't everyone just do this all the time? Like, it, he makes it seem so easy. And then you're like, oh, yeah, because it would be really hard to, like, walk up to a grieving child and ask them if they killed their parents or a grieving parent and ask them if they killed their child he just has no uh shame and it's uh yeah there's something sort of like darkly funny and sort of frightening about it yes um and i i think we'll get we'll get a little bit uh into the darker tropes a little bit later but um anyways surface level loved patra jane good time patra jane uh yeah, and then <laughs> let's uh, go over to, um, I wrote their names down so I wouldn't forget. I was just mm-hmm. referring to them as that person while I was watching. Yep. Um, Teresa Lisbon, who is sort of mm-hmm. the leader of their little squad. Uh, I also enjoyed her character. I get the feeling that I, with the six episodes I watched, I probably didn't understand her character or like do her character justice for what might have come later. Yeah. Uh, but... I get the idea that she's supposed to be Jane's sort of main partner in crime mm-hmm. type person. She's the classic, like, you're not supposed to do this, but I'll look the other way to let you off the hook kind of person. Um, yeah, I will say, like you said, the episodes that you got, I gave you very Patrick Jane centric episodes. Um so, yeah, her, like, backstory and their dynamic and stuff like that is better explored in other episodes you haven't seen yet. Sure, but sure, yes. sure. Um, and then we can move on to uh, Grace. Sure. Who, who was the, sort of, introduced in episode one as the new recruit, the junior detective. Uh, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, she, I think she is acted well, uh, but doesn't b- between all of the like different wild characters she serves as sort of a normal person who is yeah. just also a good detective and it's fine to watch they like, also like wrote her like the most she's like the most stereotypical detective procedural detect like i've seen that character before it's just, yeah like, she's the tropiest by far like yeah. the the new recruit like attractive woman who's like green that they like send out to like bait creepy guys and like they are showing the ropes and like precocious and wants to do more it's just very she's very very tropey the best part about grace van pelt is that she finds all the real leads that patrick doesn't find yeah you might not have experienced that in your other ones but she's like the only one on the team who like actually does anything useful and it the show never comments or recognizes that in any way that i've seen but anyway yikes um well then i would also like to uh go over to cho Mm -hmm. who is very good and what i would i what i was describing him as was the poor man's patrick jane uh because (laughs) he literally just treats people the way jane does he's just worse at it yeah it's very funny uh he's he's the same like he's a very straight man it's it the dynamic between him and the rest of the team is very funny like Mm -hmm. he brings a good thing to a show but like he is also the same 
like walks up to someone did you kill your daughter uh like he doesn't get results so he shouldn't get away with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean his his role on the team largely is to be like the interrogator um often like typically if it's not jane like interrogating suspect suspects it's usually cho and he is just like totally deadpan he has one expression and that is nothing is expressionless basically i was gonna because i was gonna say he's it seems like he's supposed to be the interrogator but in literally every scene i watched right and still working from a small sample size here he interrogates for 30 seconds gets nowhere and then jane's like leave the room i got this and then he just pretty much yeah i'm like okay well (laughs) so he's very funny um i'm not sure that it makes sense that he's on the team, but I'm <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, and then uh, we have Rigsby. Mm-hmm. I do not like Rigsby. <laughs> <laughs> what do you uh, specifically not like about Rigsby? He's just he is the embodiment of the stereotypical detective who's in it because he thinks he's cool. <laughs> like that that was the running joke. Is like he'd tackle someone and be like, "Do you see that?" Like. He, I came out of nowhere. What would you have done if I didn't do that? And yeah. like, he tries to be the hero. And later, they try to humanize him, and I was already over him. So like, <laughs> I- yeah. To be, you have also not experienced a lot of like Rigsby backstory stuff. But I feel very much about Rigsby. Like I feel about, um, he's not the same character, but I feel about him like I feel about Inspector Lestrade in Sherlock. Where I'm kind of like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, he is there. Also, he is also in the shot. And I feel Lestrade nothing is else. less of an asshole, though. <laughs> um, yeah. The best but, thing about Rigsby is he gives Cho a lot of things to make jokes about, and that's my favorite part of the show. Yeah, later on, they really lean into the, like, Cho makes fun of Rigsby in a very, like, sarcastic, deadpan way constantly. Um, and it turns Rigsby into, like, a big caricature, but it gives Cho chances to be funny. So for that, I, I'm okay with Rigsby, but I get what you mean. I don't sure. think that's true in season one necessarily. No, so, not yeah, really. Cho is not really funny. He doesn't make jokes ever, really, in season no. one that I can remember. He just is funny because he's a funny character, but he gets he he makes more jokes later in the series. Got it. Um, and then the last one I had on my list that I totally didn't write their name down, but uh, was the the big boss director guy. Um, it's like in charge of everything. Yes. Uh, he's awful. His whole <laughs> character is just... I could have written that character in 30 seconds if you told me the premise that, like, you wanted nice guy, rough around the edges, but still is going to yell at everyone for not following protocol, but at the very end of the day, sort of lets him get away with it. Like, I don't know. It just wasn't new. Yeah, you're right. I said that... Um van pelt was the most stereotypical one but uh, you're wrong um yes he is he is the most stereotypical uh boss of a team um yeah so i know i i sort of backloaded this uh with the characters i didn't like as much mm-hmm. uh, but uh important thing is the characters that get more screen time i enjoy a lot more so yeah that was uh, very fun. I think overall, uh, the acting from most people is done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, even the characters that were written poorly, I can tell, are being acted well. So 
I didn't have too much of an issue being immersed in what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think let's, let's talk about the plot a little bit. Um, I have never seen a show like this where the recurring villain is introduced as a thing that has already been going on since before episode one. Yeah, you start really in ma- in media res. Yeah, you you start it, and it's very apparent from from the beginning that this is like there's all of the subplots that are going to happen around it because it's a crime show. But uh, this is what this show is about. Period. Do you want to tee up what that is for the listeners who maybe haven't watched? Um. So there's a serial killer that goes by the name of Red John. Uh, who is just is just that is a serial killer that has been running around uh killing people in California and um for the for the sake of being as spoiler free as possible, I think it's fine if we spoil these episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 six episodes of a serial drama from the first season that aired 12 years ago sure i think we're okay to spoil these episodes um i think the fact that so the the red john the stake in this game is that red john uh killed patrick jane's wife and daughter um and he did so because patrick jane used to be on a tv show where he would pretend to be a psychic uh and publicly came forward as a person that was chasing Red John and basically belittled him on air as a sad, pathetic man. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a personal vendetta, Red John went to his house and murdered them. And the the what it seems like it's gearing up to be is basically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like the whole show is sort of arced around finding him. Um and I'm I'm I again like I said I'm sure there's a bunch of other subplots but yeah I think that <clears throat> so Cozy and I are still watching it we are we will probably finish season three later today um, but I think what we've watched so far still is a procedural still very much is like season one where there are episodes that have nothing to do with it at all um, mm-hmm. but it kind of reminds me of Sherlock where like even in the episodes of Sherlock that don't have to do with Moriarty. He's sort of hovering over everything. Um, You know, Sherlock is having conversations with people about Moriarty. Um, Even when the case has nothing to do with it, people are like checking to make sure Sherlock's not going crazy. This is very much a similar vibe. And I will say again, I, I don't know where the series goes, but as of close to the end of season three, it's becoming more and more present like even if not every episode has to do with red john directly um yeah it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing and i also suspect that by the end um until red john is caught um it will start to focus more and more on him and jane's hunt for him sure and i i think um the the personal vendetta the like personal relationship between a villain and the like s- the smartest guy on the team or whatever mm-hmm. um that's that's kind of a trope is that yep. they're they're always like attempting to basically like play with each other mm-hmm. uh cuz cuz usually the protagonist and i think is somewhat the case here too is somewhat uh disconnected from emotion as well it's like 
two sides of the same coin. One ended up being uh, just like a killer and the other one ended up hunting killers, but they both seek the same kind of thrill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very tropey, but I didn't mind it as much here because, I don't know, it made sense to me. Like, that Jane Jane doesn't enjoy this work as much as you can tell. He is here to catch Red John. Yeah. Right. Um, more specifically, he is here to kill Red John. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I have not seen mm-hmm. that I really liked. I think my favorite moment in all six of these episodes, I believe, came from um, Flame Red, mm-hmm. which was just a conversation between Jane and um, Lisbon. Mm-hmm. I had to flip my notes over to remember her name. Uh, but where where she is talking to him about how they'll catch him, and he said, like, paraphrasing here, but like, just so we're clear, um, when we find him, I will kill him with my bare hands in case you were trying to use the law to stop me. Um, and, I, and just like having a solid line of that mm-hmm. around his motives is super interesting um that even in sherlock even when he's described as a sociopath he still tries not to kill the people he catches yeah um this guy is fully it's fully personal and he just wants revenge like at one point someone says that's not justice that's vengeance and he just says what's the difference yeah and i i think that is the reason it doesn't feel as tropey of like these two people like playing a game with each other because he's not playing a game like he does enjoy detectiving like he enjoys being the smartest person in the room he enjoys like revealing who the killer was he enjoys like duping people into accidentally revealing themselves that they were the killer but like that's not what he's in it for he has one goal and it's to kill red john himself and like that is the all the game playing he will engage with because it gets him closer to that, not because that's the drive. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, o- overall, uh, the the plot I found very good. There are a few other external notes before I get into my final verdict that I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about, um, which is normally in shows where there's like a, a genius person using intellectual warfare. uh <laughs> Um, there's usually, like... The John Mayer song plays in my head now every time you see that. <laughs> um, there's usually, like, either something from their perspective. You'll see them, like, look at something, and there's usually a shot where it, like, zooms in on something. Or it, like, highlights an object. Or you get a brief glimpse. It does it in both Psych and Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where, where you see exactly, you, like, go into their mind and you see where they're getting their information from. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do that in this show. No. He just looks around and then he has the answer. And maybe he explains it and maybe he doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot more fun because it makes you feel a lot less like you're living this life with him, but more that you're just one of the normal people watching him be insane and also a genius. Yeah. They actually do the like highlight the object thing only in the first episode. Like they do it in the pilot and then they like stopped doing it, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting also because I definitely didn't catch that, Um, but... (laughs) Yeah, and there are things of, like, 
sometimes they will, you know, he'll be looking around a house and he will like go to someone's desk and pick up a picture and the camera will zoom in on the picture. You can, so you can see what he's looking at, but he will, it won't like, like psych literally makes the picture like glow. Um, and it's like clue found. It's like blues clues. It's like, (laughs) I found a clue. Um, but it, it just like gives you the context. And then again, he is an asshole. So he frequently like won't tell the team what his theory is until he's figured it out for sure. Um, and so he'll look at a picture and just sort of look at it and put it down. And it, it is totally up to you to figure out what it means. Like it, it won't, again, psych will literally like highlight a specific corner of a picture. It's, it's impossible to miss what the clue should be. Um, and so often either they leave it oblique or he bases things based on like people's tone of voice or like what they're wearing or like their specific ways they speak or things like that, that yeah, you have to, I think this show is way more fun to like watch and try to predict what's going to happen than like a psych. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Also side note, one of my favorite other moments was when for no reason at all, uh, he he was offered a small girl's bucket on a beach mm-hmm. and uh, fully <laughs> made like a sand fortress, completely yeah. outclassing this this poor child that is also just trying to make a sand castle. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, and then the one one other note I had was um, why <laughs> why in crime shows. Are they so bad at portraying teenagers? Yeah, dude. Literally <laughs> every time. I in almost every episode I watched, there was one super angsty teenager with like Apple headphones in that he had to talk to that was like, What do you want? I don't care about my parents. And like Does that does I, that I, trope hit a little too close to home? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um <laughs> I just I it's it's literally yeah, dude. adults just suck so at one-sided. writing kids. Like, adults can write little kids, like, ages zero to maybe, like, five or six, and they can write adults, like, post-college grad adults, um, and anyone ages, like, eight to twenty or twenty-one speak like an alien, pretending to be a human being. And that is true of, like, most media, I think. It was just, it was so, and maybe it was just these episodes, but it was so prevalent in this show that every like tween or like teenager that came on screen fully took me out of what was happening and made me go oh this is so badly written like they're just the only thing they're here for is to show you that like they hate their mom or something and i was like (laughs) okay man well you also i had you watch episode two which is the one with the like kids on the beach like surf kids Mm -hmm. um and i honest to god could not tell you if those kids are supposed to be 15 or 25 like i do not know what was happening there like they're at school they're like partying at the kid's dad's house but also they like sleep on the beach and they like, look uh, 25 they, they look, look 25. 25 canonically it is it is said that they are 15, 15? are they really yes see this is that's the thing. part that's of what the I thought. scandal is that she's 15 right 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 because she's a kid that's the yep. whole thing yeah yeah see so this is the yeah there's some there's some weirdness with ages for sure yeah so yeah, that that was my sort of general. I thought there were there were elements of it that were super tropey that 
mm-hmm. started to turn me off to it. Uh, but overall, I had a good time watching it, and I could see myself uh, going back and watching more of it. Nice. So if you had to give a final... We still haven't landed on exactly what this should be, but a final buy or pass verdict on the hard sell of The Mentalist, uh, what would you give it? You know what? I think I would buy this one. Nice. I think this this was very good. You were, you were right about this being right in the spot that I would enjoy, and I think the, the tropey moments are definitely heavily critiquable, but mm-hmm. they're few enough of them, and they don't happen frequently enough for me to mind because most of it is about Jane who is unique enough a character and played well enough that I'm, I'm really just here to watch his journey. So yeah. Yeah, And you get invested really fast in like trying to figure out who red John is and the, the hunt for red John is really easy to care about. Yeah. And easy, you know, to power through the tropier pieces of it. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. I don't know how to end this segment. And that was the sold part. Awesome. Can you cut that out, Cozy? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a new segment idea to pitch you guys on. So is this a pitch? Is this the segment? Is this the second segment? We've been trying to find another segment to add to the podcast. And is the segment Cozy giving us the hard sell on segment ideas? <laughs> Sorry, I, I just usurped your segment. Okay, got it. Okay, so this is um the segment I'm pitching is Cozy's hard sell opinions, where I take an opinion I don't think you guys are going to agree with and try to convince you that I'm correct. <laughs> Okay, sounds interesting. I'm afraid. Are these like opinions about like politics no, or like you're not going to come up with some like alt right uh, frightening too, opinion? Like, serious. I think these are like really low stakes opinions that I don't think you will agree with that I think are correct entirely. So uh, you'll so, see when I get the first one. I only have one currently, so I don't know if this will be a recurring <laughs> segment, but I at least thought it would be funny for this specific opinion, and I might well, have more in the future. Per, per clarifying question. Is this an opinion that you actually hold, or are you just trying to devil's advocate this? 100% I hold this opinion. Okay. Okay, so podcasts should be listened to at minimum 1.15 speed. Ugh. I mean, oh, wow. how dare you say that on our <laughs> podcast? How Please dare you do encourage listeners to listen to our podcast worse? Please don't gloss over our beautiful content. No, I think our podcast should also be listened to at minimum 1.15 speed. Someone else needs to produce this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Why? What is the advantage? It saves time? Yes. Just have more time or listen to fewer podcasts. too slow. Like, that's just true. (laughs) I I think the best way to consume podcasts is at a speed. There's like a sweet spot. I don't think podcast should be listened to at 2.0 speed because that's like too fast. It distorts the audio. But 1.15 is like barely perceptible and you save like eight minutes per hour and you can fit like an extra whole podcast in your week with that. And I think that's worth it. I guess I do agree that there is a sweet spot because if you listen to a podcast at 0.5, that would be way too slow and 1.5 would be way too (laughs) fast, which is why the sweet spot is one. 
one no. time yeah. speed. I, I mean, you say people just talk too slow. Yeah. So is that true for you in all media? Like if you're <laughs> with your friend, like at a restaurant, and you're having a conversation, are he's like, you get to the do point. you say actually could you talk in one point five speed really quickly? Because this <laughs> is I like I have places to be, but I also want to hear what you're saying. So. <laughs> No, but I think on podcasts, like, people kind of do talk slower and in an unnecessarily slow manner. And we do it, too, because I edit our episodes and I listen to them, like, four times to edit them. Like, we also talk really slow. That's just, like, how people talk. But you do not need to listen to it that slow. You can still get the content. There's, like, a notable exception of, like, a podcast that heavily incorporates music or fiction podcasts. Like, maybe I would make an exception and play those at 1.0 speed, but, like... Your standard, like, documentary podcast or, like, uh, NPR, like, Hidden Brain or 99% Invisible, like, there is no reason to listen to that at 1.0 speed. They should all be listened to at 1.15 so you can listen to more podcasts. Can I this pitch, is... can I pitch a segment? Sure. Can I pitch a middle segment? It's going to be called The Slow-Mo Bros. <laughs> and it's where Tim and I talk as slowly as possible until no. Cozy goes insane. Oh, God. You mean at normal speed, apparently. Apparently. I cannot believe that this is There is no world in which I agree with you on this. People talk at the speed they talk at because that's the speed people talk at and listen (laughs) at. That was like the most not making a conclusion statement I've ever heard. I would say that it was profound. Okay. I'm joking. Maybe when you listen to it back a little bit faster, it'll sound better. Probably. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> That's wild. All right. Well, I I super pass on this cell of this opinion. Yeah, I'm also going to pass. Every time I've tried to speed up a podcast, it like hurts my ears. Like it makes my brain feel bad. What speed are you speeding them up to though? I don't know. Anything. Because like anything. 1.25 is like a little perceptible. 1.5 is like unlistenable, but 1.15, I do believe you barely can notice and it's worth it. No, because this has happened because you have sped up podcasts before when we are like in the car or something and I notice instantly and I can't deal with it. We've had this, we haven't for a while because we don't drive anywhere anymore, but we, we have had this conversation and I cannot, it like makes my brain break. I mean, you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> wow. I, (laughs) this is just, like, I don't think I've ever, truthfully, I guess I can say I've never tried it, because I don't think I've ever been listening to a podcast and went, hmm, you know what, this could use this, but faster. (laughs) Like, I, (laughs) like, I'm, part of the appeal of podcasts is that they're, like, a relaxing in-between activity that you can do a lot of times while you're doing something else, and I'm not, like, trying to speed run my podcasts like i just want to listen to something and i don't need to do you right, also but if listen? you could listen to it and it would take eight minutes less time and you have <laughs> eight minutes more to listen to different pot i don't know why that wouldn't be worth it you this sounds like those life hacking things yeah it's where they, absolutely where like, a life hack if you brush your teeth and shower at the same time <laughs> you say- <laughs> um i also my podcast app has a feature where you can turn on quote-unquote smart speed where it like <sighs> identifies and shortens silences between people talking and it tells me i've saved 174 hours just using that 
feature, not including my 1.15. So I think I've saved like a year, basically, probably. <laughs> okay, <laughs> first of all, 175 hours is not a I was year. thinking of days, wasn't I? Yeah. That would still I mean, only be half a year or less. Well, <laughs> I've saved, but that's a lot of, that's more than a week, so I think that's still quite a bit of time. I mean... This just sure. I just seventy five hours is one year. I Ish. can't. Um, Ish. Sure. I guess if you want to dilute the quality of something to save time, that's technically true. You could just eat steaks raw, and that would save time cooking. Um, you could eat eggs raw generally too. Just crack them open, <laughs> slurp them down. Um, that would save time. We could start doing that. I don't think 1.15 speed reduces the quality. Like, I think there is, like, a trade-off, like, of quality when you get too high of speed, but 1.15 is not that. I think it's perfectly listenable, equally good. Do you listen to your uh, music at (laughs) 1.15 speed? No, and I said I don't listen to podcasts that, like, heavily incorporate music at 1.15 speed because I think it's different, and I think But you could get through more music. Does not rely on as but i don't i listen to podcasts mainly to get to the podcast and that's not how i listen to music wow it's interesting that was so controversial and brave to bring up on a podcast (laughs) but i couldn't disagree with you i'm going to continue to disagree with this all right i did like the segment though so i will approve the segment and hard disagree with your podcast opinion (laughs) passing sounds good all right and for our final segment um we have this week's or this bi-weekly hard sell uh kyle what will you be hard selling me on this week yes um i we we took our first week and i sold you on a video game that was definitely the first one i wanted to sell you on and not accidentally my backup choice uh (laughs) And then we went over to TV shows. I would love to bring it back to my roots, which is video games, once again. Um, Back to your roots. Back to my roots. Uh, (laughs) But this time, it's a very different kind of video game. Um, Thank God. (laughs) You didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. but You just weren't sold. Um, (laughs) So, uh, Tim, there are a few sort of wide genres, like, that are blanket genres, I think, that I know you enjoy in video games. Uh, Could you Mm -hmm. talk about uh, the different kinds of games you like to play? Sure. Um, I've played lots of different video games and liked them. There are very few genres that I just straight up don't like. I think the ones I tend to gravitate to are either like online multiplayer game there are probably three ish that i prefer above most others Mm -hmm. um one are like online multiplayer games like world of warcraft or league of legends things like that not very good at them but um i like playing those games those are fun for me um the second are probably sports games i have spent an unconscionable number of hours playing like fifa and madden and football manager i think i'm up to like 250 hours playing the football manager that came out this year in november this last year in november 
Um, so based on Cozy's math, that's two years worth of football <laughs> manager. Wow. Um, so I think that's number two. And then number three are like story heavy RPGs. I don't generally love, I, I like, but don't generally love the like last of us cinematic video game style stuff, but I like, um, RPGs that have strong character story stuff like the mass effect games are some of my favorite games i've ever played um stuff like that near automata is not really an rpg that's more of like a story game but um stuff like that like single player crafted rpg style games i also really like what do you enjoy about um games that tell a good story that the point of them is to tell a story rather than to be super intensive with the gameplay great question that i haven't really thought about in detail before this very moment that you've asked me based on the pot or the video games i mean that you recommend to me i think you like that kind of a game like uh what remains of edith finch or um, there's other ones in that genre that you've recommended to me that you've really enjoyed. Yeah, I think the thing I like is um, I like character-centric media. It's not a coincidence that I uh, propose The Mentalist, which is like the most character-centric detective uh, show that I could find. I really like movies like Arrival that are very character-centric. Like I like um stuff focused on that and i think video games by putting you in giving you a controller gives you a different perspective there are things you know i love outer wilds um and that is a game that you couldn't do with in tv because you have to be in the driver's seat you just have to it gives you a different feeling it gets you more invested in the world i'm not saying i prefer video games over other media but i think you can it can hit you in different ways um by forcing you to uh sometimes make decisions but even just like experience it like feel the rumble in your hands to like it gets you in immediately invested inherent to the medium in a way that like reading a book or watching a movie just uh doesn't in the same way yeah for sure um i think Commonly, those kinds of games are often called, like, visual novels. Sure, um, yeah. Which are games that, I mean, it's not super difficult. Like, there's not a lot of intense. There's not combat. You're not, like, trying to... I mean, combat's the big one. I didn't have an end Also, you're sentence. not really... <laughs> like, I think visual novels specifically aren't, like, puzzle games. So you're not really, like, solving puzzles as an important part yeah. of the gameplay. It's more about just, like um living through the story right and if there are puzzles they're very obvious because it just wants to take you from place to place right um but through that sort of that medium where you're where you're in control of the character so you feel a little bit more immersed in a different way um so yeah um i really like that's a really good segue i like that you brought up something that was character centric Mm -hmm. uh because this game i'm going to pitch to you is character centric except the spin is that you don't know the character okay um i am pitching to you the game known as the beginner's guide mm. uh by developer and publisher everything unlimited uh and it is if you've ever heard of the stanley parable 
I've heard of it, yes. Um, I have it not. Is, Can you explain what that is? The Stanley Parable is a game where you play as Stanley. Uh, it's first person, and there's a narrator. He's like an office drone. His whole job is to push a button every day. Okay. Uh, and you play through a day when no one is in the office for some reason you don't understand, and a narrator is narrating his life. Um, and you can always choose to do what the narrator tells you to do or not, and that changes the story. Okay. Um, it's very, like, witty. It's very whimsical. It's supposed to be very funny. And it got a lot of good reviews. It came out in 2013. Um, this developer, um, his name is Davey Reedon, uh, two years later came out with this game that I, I really love the Standing Parable. I think this one is way more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was sort of polarizing on reviews, so I'm interested to see what you'll think. Um, mm. It is a narrative game. And it's it, it'll only take you about an hour and a half to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't, like, like a visual novel, there aren't, like, mechanics or goals or objectives. Um, but it tells the story, sort of, of uh, there is a narration by Davy, And he is talking about his friend um, Coda, is what he always refers to him as. And mm-hmm. how uh, it's always very vague, but how at some point... Um, he found this Coda person's files, and Coda was also a game developer, mm-hmm. um, and found just an entire mismatch of unfinished games. So, so just to be clear, Davy is not a character. It's the you load up the game, and the developer is like, "Hello, I made this game that you are playing right now." Yes, exactly. Okay. Interesting. Um, and and Davy is the one that is narrating you through it as you play through all of coda's unfinished games piece by piece Mm -hmm. and sort of talks about them um and the idea is that based on all of the games that this coda person was trying to make um he's sort of asking you now that you have this extra piece of information what kind of person do you think he is Um, interesting and do you like do you think he struggles with anything what do you think is missing in his life based do you think he even enjoys making video games based on the unfinished games in this person's folder. Um, and I would say it starts lighthearted, and I think say with, there are some more sort of somber parts, but it all stays very vague. Um, and I'll let you come to your own conclusions at the end about what uh, certain things mean. But it is definitely a journey that I went on very late at night and ended up being super introspective for a couple hours after. <laughs> nice. Interesting. So is it true like is is coda a real person that like davy worked with or something like that i think that is up for interpretation um interesting some reviews have said that like it definitely just was his friend some people have said that it is just an alias he is using to try and express some of like the struggles he has with game developing Mm -hmm. um Who's to say? I think I think that's sort of for you to decide for yourself. Nice. It sounds interesting. I, I have heard of Beginner's Guide before, and it's vaguely been like in the back of my head. You know, I've heard about it as a context um, or in the context of a game from the development perspective that like comments on game development, which I have enjoyed. There are a few other um, games that I really like that do that also. 
So nice. Yeah, I think I'll like it. Where can I play it? What what system? PC, probably? You Yeah, you can play it uh, through Steam. Actually, if you're in... <laughs> I won't sell you on this one, but if you're interested in the uh, Stanley Parable, mm-hmm. um, there's a sale going on at the moment where you can, you can get both of them as a bundle for a total of 55% off. Got it. You can get both cool. games for just under... Or just over $10. So. Nice. Well, cool. I'm sold in terms of trying it because that is the format of the podcast, but also it sounds interesting. Um, So it's only an hour and a half, so it should take you just under three months, according to Cozy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. I will have my verdict ready by the time uh, we record again in two weeks. Sounds good. I'm excited to talk about it. Thanks for listening to our second full episode of Hard Sell. You can find us on your podcast player of choice. We're on Twitter at, at Hard Sell Show. Uh, you can send us an email uh, to hardsellshow at gmail.com. We'll be back in two more weeks with my verdict on Beginner's Guide as well as a new Hard Sell for Kyle. Until then, we will catch you on the flippity flop. Yeah. We're sticking with that as the outro. We're sticking with that. Flippity flop. Catch you on. Flippity flop.